I'm aware that 10% of our number have been on an aeroplane all night and we prayed that you wouldn't snore because we reckoned you would fall asleep. So uh, feel free, there's nowhere better to fall asleep than in the presence of the Lord as someone has said before. But I'm going to try and keep us awake if I can for the next wee while. I'm going to do something I don't normally do which is um, a wee bit of audience participation here. How many people have read it? Milkman. (laughs) Hands are up immediately. Few here, few there, few there, yes, few. How many people have started reading Milkman? (laughs) You see, you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Milkman is, um, we have Americans amongst us, so let us boast. Um, Milkman is the Booker Prize winning novel by Belfast woman Anna Burns, and it's set... Oh, she would try to tell you that she'd get rid of the names and all so as it would, might not be Belfast. Tell you what, to me it's pretty much Belfast. But it is a bit of a challenge. And that's why I asked who'd read it and then who'd started reading it. When I put up on Facebook that I was going to read it, I got some good luck messages uh, from people who'd given up after 20 pages and had uh, also messages from people who said it was the best writing they'd ever come across. That, to me, is a little bit of an exaggeration. But, but... It was a good investment, I think, of my time over New Year. It's an intense, pressurised, claustrophobic read about a Republican community in Belfast at the end of the 70s. And I have to say, first off, being from the leafy suburbs of Balamina, yes, we have suburbs in Balamina, it's not that tiny, um that I knew nothing about this kind of pressure cooker that it was to live in one of those communities. And Anna Burns gives a real, and Stuart Bailey, my uh, friend who writes more in rock music than he does in novels, he would suggest that the writing that you're struggling with is exactly why you're struggling with it because she wants you to struggle with the pressure and the intensity of that community. And so I felt that really if you've given up on it, um, then you're a soft, middle-class Protestant. That's not exactly true, Pierce, of course, at any level. Um, um, That wasn't able to live in the pressure cooker of a Republican community in Belfast in the late 70s. It is tough stuff. There's violence, there's threat of violence, there's oppression, there's sexual harassment... And it's a wearying, traumatic, constant weary and constant trauma. People are losing members of their family. But the ones who are not being lost are under all kinds of traumatic pressure. And the power mongers of the community are setting up through gossip and rumour what the truth of the community is. There's a beautiful scene, wonderful scene where our narrator, middle sister she's called because nobody has any names. Middle sister's telling mother, basically middle sister's being harassed. She's an 18-year-old girl who's trying to opt out by reading books while she walks, 19th century books because she hates the 20th century because obviously that's what she's living through. And she's 18 years of age and this 40-something paramilitary leader starts to harass her, flirt with her, Sexual harassment for sure. And the rumour goes around the community that she's having an affair with this paramilitary leader. 
And so she comes to open her heart up to her mother to explain to her mother what's really going on. And she doesn't usually open up to anybody, never mind her mother. But she opens up to her mother, tells the entire truth to her mother. And when it ends, you're waiting at that moment for a little sympathy from mother. And mother just says, liar. We know what's going on. Because the gossip and rumor of a community can become the truth of a community. Far from the actual truth of what is going on. I learned a lot from that. Because in PCI, I have been the brunt of that very thing. Not a Republican community. A church denominational community. Where the gossip and rumor was the truth. Rather than what I really thought, believed or did. But That's for another occasion maybe. But it brings us in to the power basis of communities. What Sue read so wonderfully just now was a community under pressure of violence and threat and oppression. Trauma that was constant. We miss that in the loveliness of the Christmas nativity. But that's the truth of what's going on here. Herod was a tyrant and he was a tyrant under a Roman rule. And in this scenario, of course, the Magi went to see Herod because they needed permission to do anything in that particular pressure cooker because he was the paramilitary, the milkman, if you like, of that particular community. And power bases are nervous around Jesus. Power bases do not want to know the interruption of Jesus. And so Herod's power base gets frightened and scared and goes on the offensive and wants to know where this baby is. He knows who the baby is. He's the one. The Magi don't. The Magi haven't the scriptures. Herod has it. Herod gets the religious leaders from Union College, forgive me Desi, um, from Union College to come and explain that actually it is Bethlehem and it is the saviour. And he's already planning to kill the long-awaited Messiah and saviour because his power base is being threatened. Power bases. Power is all-consuming in our world. And we kid ourselves to think that milkman in some area of Belfast is a par base that we're not a part of or we live outside of. Because as I shared about PCI, that's a community and there's a par base. Fitzroy might be, if it's twisted and tempered with, the wrong kind of par base. All kinds of communities in work or in leisure all kinds of places where we might find these power bases all consuming in our world where people's gossip and rumor would want to sideline people or rule over people or oppress people. And faith, faith is a resistance to the power bases of our world. It's slightly contrived in our lectionary readings from Isaiah chapter 60 and Matthew chapter 2 to go into Ephesians. But it's very hard not to go into Ephesians when we're thinking about these power bases. In chapter 1 that I use all the time where 
Paul's praying that the eyes of the hearts of the believers would be would see the power that is available to them. We are told that Jesus is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not in the present age, but also in the one to come. The Bible's aware of these power bases. Chapter 6 of the same letter. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, gossip and rumor. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark age, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We would be wrong to think that the baby Jesus came for us just as individuals, though we did praise the Lord. Jesus didn't just interrupt my individual relationship with a holy God, though he did praise the Lord. Jesus came to interrupt all the power bases. He came that we might have resistance. The geese snaking across the Firth of Forth from their summer nests in Iceland and the coastal cliffs of Greenland, clattering and honking in their ever-shifting skins. The outstretched wingtips of each migrating goose create a nutwash. A pocket of wind resistance for the bird tucked in behind or below. These nacts of ease, these aerodynamic sanctuaries, cut the drag up to 60%. It's a wonder. And it's also a gale-bitten struggle to maintain cooperation. Every goose takes a turn, stepping up, falling back, laboring and resting. In the gorgeous symbiotic dance of their migration, I have wondered... In what ways are we as humans like geese? And how do we, can we sustain our own sense of being part of a scheme? I think this is a matter of survival. Corinne Polwart and a whole theatre, music, poetry and visual piece that she did just about a year ago on these geese that she's obsessed with that comes into this mirror just beside where she lives in Midlothian. Could we be a skin to give ourselves pockets of resistance? As we start a new year, could Fitzroy be the place that allows each one of us to step up, to fall back, to labor and rest? Could we be the ones that when we're on, we're the ones who lead us forward, but when we're down and grieving and in pain or waiting or worrying, we could fall back and rest behind the ones that are strong and then shift because those of us who are strong might be the ones who are weak later in the year. Could we be a skin that allows us to be pockets of resistance against the powers that are going on around us? God's people were resistors throughout history. In Egypt, they were resistors to slavery. Moses, plagues, exodus. The people of God needed pockets of resistance against the slavery that was constant. Babylon, missing Zion. How can we sing this song in a foreign place by the rivers of Babylon? Not home, feeling in exile. They had to be resistors. Daniel and his mates were resistors as Nebuchadnezzar was the parbius of the community they lived in. And in Rome, the Christians had fish signs because they had to go underground. There was violence. Caesar was ruling with all kinds of oppressive 
statues and imagery that made sure you knew who dominated the skyline. And the gossip and rumour would have told you who was in charge and you needed to fall in behind that. The Christians were the resistors of power. It's why in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern or the powers of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not to fall in behind the rumor and the gossip. We are to be discerning. We are to be resistors. As we start 2019, forgive me, my brothers and sisters in from America, but we live in a world that is in a state of chassis. Trump's America, May's Brexit, Arlene's Red Lines, Stormont's Inertia. We live in a world where power bases, where defaults, where rumours and fake lies and fake truth is all around us. And we need to drop into this chaos, whether it's into Trump's America or May's Brexit or Northern Ireland's inertia of Stormont. The Americans are all concerned because they've been out of government for a wee week or two. We've been out for two years, guys. Into the middle of these power bases, could we be a skin of alternative imaginers? Grace-forced lovers of one another who might be able to create pockets of resistance to the chassis going on in our world. There's a scene in The Milkman where they're down in the tack, somewhere down there where the tack was and is and metropolitan and all those kinds of places. And she's doing a French class. And in the French class, they're asking what color the sky is and the whole class says blue. And she says, no, 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 no. Look out there, what color is the sky? And they say blue. And she says, no, look out the window. Blue. And she takes them over to the window and she makes them look out the window and she says, tell me the colours that are in the sky. And it takes them a long time before they see the pinks and the mauves. It's the colour cover of the book, by the way, Milkman. Because we've been told it's blue. So it's got to be blue. But no, we've got to discern differently. We've got to discern by faith. We've got to see by faith, not by rumour or gossip or fake news. We've got to be discerning. Took me back to the Truman Show. Jim Carrey, there I was on with the Grinch. I hate Jim Carrey, but Bruce Almighty... The Grinch and Truman are three of my favourite ever movies. Go figure that one out. But in the Truman show, there they are on this set. This um, he's, he's born in a soap opera set and he grows up in a soap opera set and he doesn't know that he's on a soap opera set until he's in his 30s and suddenly the sky isn't blue anymore. But it took him all those years to discover that everybody around him was an actor. And when the producer of the program on the film is asked, how did that happen? They said, we accept the reality of the world with which we are presented. In, nine, in 2019, can we stop being people who accept the reality of the world with which we are presented? Because the baby Jesus born in that manger just a number of days ago 
is interrupting the way things are and the way it's been presented with a completely alternative resistance. We need to be discerners of the sky. We need to see by faith as we were singing earlier with the band. We need to not be conformed to the pattern of this world and just lazily fall into its default. We need to be a skein of believers who will push together no matter how difficult it is to hold it together in order to be pockets of resistance. We need to be decisive resistors. The wise men were decisive resistors. They went to Herod. Herod told them to go and find the baby and then come back back and tell him so as he could go and worship it. Aye. But they had to see by faith. They had to see more than the blue in the sky. They had to go on beyond the rumors of the gossip to hear the voice of the Spirit telling them that they needed to resist the powers of the age. To allow the baby to survive, to become the saviour and the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the one who would bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We need to discern, be discerners of resistance. We need to be those who make decisive decisions about resistance. And then can I encourage us in 2019 to be distributors of resistance? This is my particles of light across the city changing its semantics. This year, could we be distributors of resistance? Because you see, wherever you are tomorrow, whether that's in your home, whether that's in your coffee area that you go, whether that's in your place of work, whether that's in your leisure center, wherever it is tomorrow, there are people who need a scheme. They need somebody to step up. They need someone to show them that the sky is more than blue. They need someone to show them that the powers of the age that they're in are going to destroy all that is good for the sake of power. They need discerners to be distributed among them. Will we do that? Will we be distributors of this resistance? Will we go into a world in the state of chassis and say we believe there is hope? We believe there is grace? We believe you can love your enemy. You can forgive those who've sinned against you. Can we go out and say that the powers that are bringing us down are not the powers in ultimate control because there's been an interruption of a God baby, a God man that can go into any community in our world and cause us to be resistors. I'm finishing with a, I usually finish with a bit of a punch. This might be, I think it's just, it's not humorous, it's genius. I'm reading another book, Steve Turner. I get very fortunate because I wrote a book about you too um, because I think they thought I was Steve Turner. And in fact, it was reviewed in the States once, um, Walk On by Steve Turner. And when I met the Jars of Clay guys, the first time I met them, uh, Steve Mason, who I'm now friendly with, Steve shouted across the room at me, loved your highway to heaven. I went, no, 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 that was Steve Turner as well. I think the world thought I was Steve Turner, and I, I feel I owe Steve Turner, so I'm always plugging his books. But he's brought a beautiful new book out that the Bible Museum, I think, somewhere in America, had uh, commissioned him to write. It's a hundred rock songs, and the biblical basis of the rock songs, Turner's brilliant. 
Because people will open this and they'll go, my word, it's anarchy in the UK. And within two paragraphs, they're reading scripture because Turner's just great like that. And he quotes T-Bone Burnett, who played with Bob Dylan, who did that song earlier that I wasn't aware of and have to go home this afternoon and hook out. T-Bone Burnett, who you will have come across, you don't know it, but um, Brother Where Art Thou or some other movies probably done the soundtrack for or whatever else. And T-Bone came to faith just after he toured with Bob Dylan. Quite a number of that band came to faith at the same time. And uh, T-Bone didn't go down the contemporary Christian music scene where he, he preached Jesus in his songs. But God was all over implicitly rather than explicitly in his songs. And Turner quotes him in this book that's just out called Turn, Turn, Turn. And it's a wonderful phrase. Here's what T-Bone Burnett decided that what he was going to do, instead of telling everybody about Jesus... He said, I'm going to do songs and make music that make unbelievers doubt their unbelief. I like that. We're going to live lives that make doubters doubt their unbelief. Because we go out into Northern Ireland, everybody's heard it. Everybody knows it. And actually they don't know it. They know the gossip and rumor gospel that they've been told for a hundred years. They know a false power gospel. They don't actually know the real Jesus in behind the gospel. But to try and teach them that, it's not going to be easy. Because as soon as you mention certain words or certain ideas, they've already got an idea in their head that flips the switch and they don't listen or they have their own answer back. But what if we were those who lived lives that made unbelievers doubt their unbelief? You might think that's a crazy idea. You know what I found over six years of Four Corners Festival? That's exactly what the festival does. So many people who've lost faith or don't have any faith come and they say, this is what the church should be doing. This is what Jesus should be about. I'm getting this. Thank you for doing this. Because we're doing something that's a pocket of resistance. And when we're pockets of resistance, unbelievers will even doubt their unbelief. And start thinking about belief. Because they've found something. They've found something that drops into the power systems of our world. With a different kind of power. There's a grace force out there. Pushing people in. There's a sin force pushes people away. There's a grace force pushes people in. There's a power that is rumor and gossip and fake news and lie. And there is the good news and the power of God's grace and love. Will we be pockets of resistance? Will we be discerners of resistance? Will we be distributors of resistance? Will we go into our city tomorrow and live such a way that the unbelievers start to doubt their unbelief? May it be so in the name of Jesus. Happy New Year, let's pray. Lord, the truth is that many of us tomorrow in the places that we're already apprehensive about going into feel too well that pressure, that stress, those power bases. Lord, I pray that we as a community in Fitzroy would become a skin of believers, of resistors, 
that would cover each other and allow each other to fall behind or below and get protection when those difficult powers that be blew across our lives and maybe even knocked us off our feet. May we be a skin that's strong enough within ourselves by your spirit within us, by you as Lord of what we do and that incomparably great power that you mentioned in Ephesians 1 that can help each other survive in whatever power base is after us. And may we be that grace-powered love of God distributed across Belfast, Northern Ireland, Ohio, Michigan, wherever. So that people who today have no belief might start to doubt their unbelief when they see the reality of Jesus' resistance lived out in us. We offer ourselves at the start of this year, Lord. Blow your Holy Spirit through us that we might discern resistance, be decisive in our decisions about resistance and be distributors of resistance across our world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.